Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. As, as we begin our Torah study, would you open up to Genesis 25? We'll look at the first few verses there in just a minute. This week's Torah portion speaks about a turning point for Israel because God has been doing all the giving and now he wants Israel to participate in giving. Israel's been on the taking side and now it's Israel's turn to give. So it's a turning point, it's a time for give and take. And remember the words of Yeshua that are written in Acts 20, verse 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, let's take that apart so that we understand it. It is blessed to receive. It is blessed to give. It's more blessed to give than to receive, but both are blessed. In, in fact, we need both sides to give and to receive. We need that at many different levels. For instance, we need to receive from the Lord. How many already know that? You need help from God. You need much from the Lord. But the Lord says, give to me. And we'll be looking at different things that he's wanting um, from us today. But the Lord is saying, build for me a sanctuary because he wants something from us. You know, when you're always on the receiving side, you lose a little bit of your sense of self-worth and dignity. When you can give to others, it, it boosts your, your personal di dignity. It's blessed to receive. It's just more blessed to give. But giving and receiving are part of every good relationship. As it is with the Lord, it's also with human relationships. You know, it really feels lopsided when you're in a relationship with a person and you're doing all the giving and they're just taking. It, it just doesn't feel right because it's not right. It, it's okay when that person is a little baby, but after that, at the point that they can be helpful, it's not right because everyone should be able to give and everyone should be able to receive. Now sometimes people get so accustomed to giving that they can't receive. They can't receive help. They, they can't express need, I need help. Um, the fact is everybody needs help. The person you're sitting next to knows this about you. <laughs> and you know about them. We all need help. Every one of us needs help. So the turning point for Israel here is that the Lord is looking for a kind of mutuality and symmetry, a kind of reciprocity and balance in relationship. And actually, that's the nature of all good relationships. There are two sides, and each side has its part. So this is a turning point for Israel. Israel's been on the receiving side, but not the giving side. Israel's been receiving, Israel's been taking, 
but not giving. And so this is the theme I want to focus on. And there's more than just this turning point that's going on. Let's start with a passage from Exodus 25. So Exodus 25, starting in verse one, the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to take up an offering or a collection for me, accept a contribution from anyone who wholeheartedly wants to give. It's really an interesting, interesting challenge. The Lord is saying, I want a contribution from those whose hearts are stirring them. I don't want to receive from those whose hearts are not stirring them. And then verse eight, they're to make me a sanctuary so that I may live among them. So Israel here is being asked to give and it's a turning point. Israel is to become a giver, not just a taker. And every one of us comes to that turning point as well. Now, this idea of the offering, the Taruma offering, it's giving, not just receiving, it's giving, not just taking, and it's given wholeheartedly, wanting to give, being cheerful about it, happy about it, and being wholehearted. So there are, there are several important motivations that work on the inside of every person who is um, wholehearted, and I want to just identify four of those motivations that are at work. And the first one is really obvious. They want to give. The, the people that the Lord is looking for are the people who want to give. They're not reluctant. They're, they're not feeling pressured. They want to give. They're motivated to give. It's a joy for them to give. Now in America, if you wanna raise money the best way is to make people cry and make them feel just enough guilt that when, when your infomercial <laughs> this is why they do it, it works. It works for people who have no commitment and who don't really want to give, they just want to get rid of the guilty feelings. It works. So when I say it's the best way, it's the best way for those kinds of people. And the Lord in this passage is saying, I'm not interested in their money. I don't even want the help from such people. If, if they're just giving because they feel guilty, Keep it. The Lord is saying, I only want people who are wholehearted who want to give a teruma offering. Now, teruma can be translated very simply as an offering, but it's actually more than that. It's an offering of the best. It's a, you could say the cream of the crop. It's, it's taking from the top, from the first part. It's similar to a tithe, but it's not a tithe here. It's a separate offering, and it's for a specific purpose. The purpose is to build a sanctuary. So this is for people who want to give, only those people, and it's for people who want to build a sanctuary for the Lord, so they want to build. They want to put their effort into doing something together. 
This is for everyone who wants to give and wants to build. It's not for one benefactor. So the Lord wasn't looking for one rich person to to fund everything. He was looking for all of Israel to have a turning point to become givers who want to, with wholeheartedness, who want to give and who want to build. Now, anybody who didn't want to give and didn't want to build could easily find a reason not to give. And I'll I'll tell you how. They could say, you can't build a house for the Lord. The Lord's too big. The Lord's all-powerful. He can't live in a house that people build. Everybody knows that. And anybody who wants to convince themselves of that can convince themselves. The only problem is the Lord says, build for me a house. Build a sanctuary. Now understand this. Is this the only sanctuary that God can live in? Is there just one? Is it possible for God to live in more than one sanctuary at a time? Yeah. And to demonstrate that he shows up in one sanctuary to show that he can be there, Because if he can't be in one place, he can't be in more than one place. Correct? Okay. But he can be in more than one place. In fact, this idea is necessary in order to understand the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Can the Spirit of God be present somewhere? Yes. How? By being there. The Shekinah presence of the Lord during the times of the tabernacle and the Exodus were evidence of that. Okay, if that's true, can the Holy Spirit be poured out on a person? Not just a place, but a person. Yes, on Moses, right? As an example. And then when other people were like moved by the Spirit and some of Moses' uh, protectors, you know, were saying, you want us to stop them? He said, no, I wish that all of Israel would be full of the Spirit. That was one of his prayers. So when the Holy Spirit was poured out, is it possible that the Holy Spirit was poured out on more than one person? Of course. So that means the person sitting next to you can have the Holy Spirit. At the same time, you have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God can live in you and in the person next to you. Do you have to like someone for the Holy Spirit to want to live in them? No. Thank goodness, because each of us has people who don't really care for us. Am I telling the truth? It's true. And even if you're adorable. (laughs) Even if you're just a kind-hearted person, there's someone who doesn't like you. I hate to tell you this, but... (laughs) It's something you're supposed to learn by kindergarten. If you don't learn by kindergarten, you surely will learn in junior high school that there are people that don't like you. And if you don't learn it by junior high school, by high school, believe me. And you can convince yourself everybody likes me. It just means you need need to go back to kindergarten. (laughs) Now, each of us is blessed with those that that love us and those that really know us and those that are devoted to us and 
and committed to us and genuinely like us and love us. But there will always be someone who doesn't like us. That's just the way it is. But God can use them too. Just because we don't get along doesn't mean the Lord doesn't get along with them. So the Lord is not limited in this fashion. He can be poured out on people you agree with and people you disagree with. Okay, so let's take that a step further. If, if, if you're of one political party, you're a partisan, can the Lord be poured out on anyone in the other political parties? Are, are you sure? Oh, people of faith. Yes, it, it actually is true. Yeah. Okay, what, what if you just, you don't like a certain ethnic group for any reason? historical reasons, they persecuted your people, or other reasons. Can the Lord pour out his Holy Spirit on that ethnic group that you don't really appreciate? He's doing it. <laughs> That's right. He's already doing it. Right. But like a biblical proof would be the whole book of Jonah, because Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. So he was an anti-Ninevite. <laughs> Think about it. So the Lord's looking for a prophet that can help the Ninevites, and he finds an anti-Ninevite. Those dirty anti-Ninevites. That's who God picks, an anti-Ninevite. <laughs> and he, the Lord sends an anti-Ninevite to Nineveh with a word that the anti-Ninevite is happy to bring. You know, it's basically destruction's coming, it's just a matter of days. The judgment of God is upon you. Hoorah! That was his attitude. Happy to tell you, I hate your guts and God does too. That was his attitude. Am I right? Yeah, I'm, I'm like exaggerating it. Almost not at all. If you read Jonah, you understand that's really the tone. And so Jonah prophesies, and to his chagrin, the Ninevites repent. <laughs> and you can imagine how many ampersands and exclamation points it would take to capture this anti-Ninevites attitude, but he was upset that God showed mercy on the Ninevites, because he's an anti-Ninevite. And the Lord basically says, like towards the end of Jonah, you're more concerned with like the thing growing in your garden, with a vine, with a little seedling or something, than you are with people. But I'm concerned for people. And I think the book ends with Jonah saying, whatever, <laughs> to the Lord. 
right? And what you want is for Jonah to repent of his anti-Ninevitism. Because actually it's against God and God's work. I, I sure hope he did. But even if he didn't, God showed Jonah something. He can love people Jonah doesn't love. He can show mercy to people Jonah's not interested in showing mercy to. And he can use someone with a bad attitude in order to convey the good attitude that God has, even against their intentions. So when you know this about God, and you know it about yourself, and you know that God can be with all of us, but he will not limit himself to just being with us. He wants to be with others. What is the limit of God's love? There's, there's, there's no limit. It's, it's unlimited. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? That whosoever, that's a good word, because you don't get to use it every day. Whosoever, whosoever would believe in him would, would not perish but would have everlasting life. That's a reflection of God's love. And God wants us to reflect that love to other people, to actually embrace it. So he doesn't want us to say, whatever. He wants us to say, Lord, I want to love like that. I want to have that kind of attitude. So the Lord is looking for people who are wholehearted, and in this offering that we're looking at, he's, he's focusing on it, but it's not just about money, it's about everything. But it includes money and resources. So these people, they, they want to give, they want to build, but there's, there are two other motivations that are worth paying attention to, they want to be with God. And this is very important. They're building a sanctuary because God wants to be with them and they want to be with him. And they take that seriously. I want to be with the Lord. I want to come into the house of the Lord and I want to worship him. I know he will be there. It's his house. And then there's a fourth motivation. They want to be with people who want to be with God. That's really an important motivation. They want to be with other people who want to be with God because this is about building a community of people, a community of faith, people who are stirred to gather together and to serve together. And I think it's important for us to think about that, especially in, in this day and age, because there is a growing trend in the religious world for people not to gather together and to just remain alone. And it's a dangerous trend, really. It, it's dangerous because we need each other and we need to be together. God was looking for people that wanted to be together. It wasn't because they had to be together. It's not because someone was making them they wanted to be together. That's why they would build a sanctuary. And they wanted to be with each other. Now look around at the people here. It's so diverse. And when you think of those who join us by podcast, um, 
people all over the world in more than 100 countries, so diverse in uh, culture, in tradition, in ethnicity, in language, and, and in, um, in the color of our skin. And yet, what brings us together is that there's one Lord and that he unites us. And there's one sincere desire to serve him. That's what brings us together. It's not that our personalities are necessarily the same. And sometimes they're not even compatible. Have you ever met a cranky person here in the synagogue? The desire to be together is so important. We're living in an age when, when many believers think that it's just them and God, them alone and God. And they try to sustain themselves just by listening to worship music on the radio or on CDs or if they're old enough on tapes. Young people, I'll explain what that is later. <laughs> but there's a tendency to isolate that people have. And people sometimes get confused about the nature of, of their real life, and they think, oh, I've got lots of friends, because they're looking at their Facebook page, and they've got thousands of friends. But Facebook friends are not, can I say it? They're not actually real friends. They're, they're just Facebook friends. And if you ever say anything that's really disagreeable, you'll find out. <laughs> now, some of your real friends <clears throat> Maybe Facebook friends. <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> it's true. Some of my Facebook friends are actually my friends. But I'm sure I've got Facebook friends who, if they spent any time with me, they wouldn't want to spend more time, <laughs> nor would I. Isn't it? And so you might say, well, why don't you just unfriend them? It's like, ah, it's too much work. <laughs> Until they make trouble. Right, whatever. But there are, there are people in this day and age who get confused and they think that they've got this massive community. And it's not really a community. It, it is something, but it's not a community because they barely know each other. They don't serve each other. They don't help each other. Um, is it okay to talk like this? Okay, good, good. And I'm not downrating digital communication. I am a digerati. I was one of the first Facebook members when you had to be um, attending Harvard, which I didn't. 
Well, I did through Facebook. <laughs> now, there were, you know, it started at Harvard, and um, there was a time when, just this moment when they opened it up to other people to join who weren't at Harvard, and I thought, looks interesting, so I did. Yeah, and now, you know, there are billions of people. There's no... Yeah, these guys do not call me and say, we remember you from the beginning. <laughs> you get no credit, you know, for having been on Facebook a long time. And sometimes I just don't even use Facebook for months, which is why it's not the best way to reach me. It's really hit and miss if you're trying to reach me on Facebook, especially those of you who use Messenger on Facebook. Good luck with that. <laughs> but real community is different. And it's forged over time. It's face-to-face. It's supplemented in other ways. But there is a, there's a mutuality to real community and to, to really having an attitude of serving together. And it requires wholeheartedness because people sometimes are better than at other times. Everyone who gets married is asked to make you know, some promises for richer, for poorer, for in sickness and in health, right? When times are good, when times are not good, you're making a commitment to each other. So the Lord is speaking about this wholeheartedness. It's, it's a measure of our hearts. He's looking for all of our hearts without reservation. It reminds me of what Yeshua said, Luke 12, 34. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The people who gave to this Teruma offering were wholehearted. They treasured being with God and with each other. And they wanted to give Teruma from the top, the first and the best. They were cheerful. They were generous. Now, I, I want to look at a number of scriptures. And in fact, we're going to look at quite a few scriptures. If you can just write down the citation and look them up afterwards, it'll be useful. Or you can listen to the podcast and, and take notes. But we'll go through more than you can probably keep up with. And I don't mean for this to be a content dump. I mean, I mean for this to be a survey to stir you because my desire is to remind you of some things that are really foundational that will be useful to you whenever there are stressful times or difficult times or challenging times. And we'll start with Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Do you see how being wholehearted, it's not just about giving money or resources. It's about a relationship with God. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There are people who are wondering where God is, but they haven't started seeking for him. And they don't know why they haven't found him. And you can explain to some people, if you want to find God, it's going to take more than you're putting into it right now. It will require of you that you seek him with all of your heart. That's what it's going to take. 
if, if you're going to do this half-heartedly, if you're going to do this with double-mindedness, if you sort of care and you don't really care, then you won't find him. Some people say, well, I've been seeking the Lord for years, and I still, I've never had any experience with him. I don't know that he's real. You can ask them a question. Are you seeking him with all of your heart? How are you seeking him with all of your heart? Because whenever someone says, I'm not, I haven't found the Lord, they probably have not sought the Lord with all their heart. Because the Lord says, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Amos 5.4. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. There's a kind of life that comes to a person when they're seeking the Lord. That is not available to people who do not seek the Lord. Proverbs 8.17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me, those who seek me diligently, find me. Now, this idea of diligence has two sides to it. It means to, to pursue with effort and commitment, but it also has a simple side, to seek by seeking. To pray diligently means to pray by praying. To do anything diligently in Hebrew can be expressed by simply doubling the verb. To do by doing it. Now, some people don't really seek the Lord by seeking him. They seek the Lord by thinking about seeking him. Sometimes people are, they're undecided about this. One part of them wants to know and the other part doesn't really want to know. I remember being in that condition. I wanted to know if Yeshua was real. And I even said to the Lord, if you show me, I will act appropriately. The problem was when he showed me, um, I wasn't sure that I really wanted to do things on God's terms. Now I knew. But the question was, could he command me? It was okay if we agreed. It, it was okay if it was my idea for something. But if it was his idea and I didn't want to do it, I still reserve veto power. <laughs> and I became chairman of the board and I had a great deputy in the Lord. But to seek the Lord with all our hearts means he's got ultimate authority, right? His word is the final word. He is the Lord. He's the boss. He's the master. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. The ones who love God do seek him diligently, and they do find him. And so this can help you. If, if you've ever felt distance from the Lord, I want to encourage you, there's a remedy for that. Seek him diligently. Just keep seeking him. Keep seeking. Now, Revelation 3, 2, 3.20, rather. Yeshua is saying, here I am, hineni, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. <clears throat> if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in 
and eat with that person and they with me. This reminds me of those ways we were talking about that God reveals himself when we started our study in uh, Exodus this year. One of the ways that God reveals himself is he has a voice. Another way is that he reveals himself personally, as a person. And that's what this is describing. Here I am, I stand at the door, and I knock. And if anyone, if anyone hears my, here's my voice, right, and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person, and they with me. So it's not enough that you go to the door because you heard, you know, knock, knock. It's not just knock, knock, who's there? And the Lord says, he me, it's me. And you go, whoa, the Lord's at the door. Wow, that's so cool. No, you got to open the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. <laughs> Isn't that such interesting description? And I'm sure that there are people who are saying, what's the door? You know, like, what door? Where? And in some ways, this is poetic. Because the knocking can be the knock on your own heart, right? The door of your heart. It can be your mind, the door of your mind. It can be your spirit. Um, there are so many doors that exist. And when you have that sense, there's someone there. And then you have this sense, I know who it is. There's a response. Open the door. Then I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. That connects to Matthew 7, 7. Yeshua said this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But this time, it's us doing the knocking, not the Lord knocking. So we're going to a closed door. Have you ever had a closed door in your life? <laughs> yeah. We all have. The Lord says, knock on that door. Now, some people don't understand this, but the, the Greek language is, is very clear the, the verbs are in a continual form. And so it could be translated, keep asking. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Some people are so, ooh, they have so little stamina. Everything has to be one and done. Well, I asked once. That should be enough. The answer is, it's not enough. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Isaiah 53, or 55 rather, verse three. The Lord says, pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. Pay attention and come to me. Some people wonder why they don't find the Lord. And I can tell you this, if you don't come to the Lord, you won't find the Lord. If you want to lead people to the Lord, be prepared to tell them they need to come to the Lord. 
You have to do that part. Now, sometimes the Lord will show up, and he'll knock, and you can answer that door. But there's a response that's necessary, and there's even initiative. To seek the Lord means to come to him, to go after him, to pursue him. Pay attention, Isaiah says, and come to me. Listen so that you will live. In John 5, verse 40, I think after referring to that passage in Isaiah, there was this statement, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And there are two parts to the refusal. You won't come to me. That's part one. That's part of the problem. And the other one is, you don't try to get life from me. You're trying to get it from some other way. Come to me so that you may have life. Now the last, the last verse I want to look at is Matthew eleven twenty eight. Yeshua said, come to me. Let's say that together. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is like a great diagnostic tool for every person. If you find a person who is just exhausted and weary, or someone who is just heavily burdened, life is just so heavy for them, you can now understand what they need. They need rest. But the question is, how do they get rest? And this passage explains, come to me. Come to the Lord to get the rest. The Lord has rest that he wants to give. We know this because that's what he says. Come to me, everyone who's weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is a great tool for ourselves as well to help us recognize our condition. What do we need? If we're weary and we're burdened, we need rest. We don't need isolation. We need rest. Coming to the Lord to get that rest is a key. Being part of a community of faith is a key so that you come together with other people who are coming to the Lord. And you're worshiping with other people. You probably had this experience where we're worshiping as a congregation and the Spirit of God changes the spiritual atmosphere around you. It's not that you did it but you experience it. Robinson, Nina, and I were talking about this recently, that worship leaders don't control that. They experience it. When they come to the Lord, it's not that they've got magic powers. It's that they're seeking the Lord, and there are times when the Lord just opens up everything, and then you know it's happened. When you're off by yourself, you don't have the benefit of that experience with other people who are seeking the Lord together with you. It's not just something you do by yourself, but when you come together, when 
when you're worshiping with others and others are saying, come, Lord. There may be even someone in the room who you barely know who looks at you and recognizes you need something from the Lord, and they just pray, oh, Lord, help them. And that's why you had a good day at services. Because someone prayed for you that day, and you didn't even know it, and you don't know it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, there is an initiative and a response. Come to me. Come to me because you want to. Come to me because you need to. And I will give you rest. You're not going to get the rest that God has from some other source. Because God has peace and he has rest you can't get anywhere else. Peace I give to you my peace I give to you. That's what the Lord says. My peace is what I give you. I'm giving you my peace. I'm not just working with your peace. Which is good, because sometimes people come and they already don't have peace. They lost peace, right? And so if all you've got to work with is your own peace, you've got nothing, bubkas. It's like... Dirkat <laughs> bublika. I got, I got nothing. <laughs> That's the equivalent of the hole inside of a bagel. It's the nothing. <laughs> when you've got nothing, you don't want God to just work with the nothing. He reaches in with all that he has in his peace and he gives you. And it's peace that the world can't give you and the world can't take away. It's important to know this. It's important to know all these things. Why? Because the world is crazy. And it always is. And the world is unstable. And it always is. But you're alive now, so you're alive for the craziness and the instability today, not a hundred years ago. And not a thousand years ago. This is your time to go through life. It's our time. We need the peace of God. We need the help of our community together. And I can tell you this, when you give God your best, you'll find you have more. And when you have a desire to be useful to God and to other people, and you give him your best, he will give you more of his best that you can be useful with to other people. So that you can see the people you love and care about. You can see them taken care of. You can see them um, helped in so many ways that are beyond what you could do together. We're gonna close now with a prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are our help. We thank you that you're wholehearted in your love for us and we wanna be wholehearted in our love for you. We want to love you and we want to love each other. Help us grow in this. And we want to be a source of peace and stability in an unstable world. And let it be that we find our peace with you. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise?
If you're standing by yourself, I encourage you to move enough so that you're not. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha, yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep watch over you and protect you, the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you, the Lord be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom.